Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics, the Vote 2019 edition on CPAC. Day 15 of the campaign, 26 days left until the vote now. Climate change, housing and home renos featuring large on the campaign trail today. Coming up, we'll cover the key promises with party commentators. Green Party leader Elizabeth May will join me to discuss the cost of her election platform, uh, the promises and how she'll pay for them. And we'll check in with our reporters on the ground in key ridings in Quebec and Nova Scotia. But we'll begin with our Day 15 primer. Aww. Who wrote this? That's so sweet. Day 15 of the campaign featured more promises of climate action. Green Party leader Elizabeth May released the costing of her platform by the parliamentary budget officer. The major spending promises include universal pharmacare and free post-secondary tuition. And it restates the Green Climate Plan for a 60% cut in emissions below 2005 levels by 2030, double the current 30% target. The Pharmacare proposal will cost $27 billion in the first year alone. May says new spending will be paid for by boosting the federal corporate tax rate to 21% from 15% and other targeted tax policies. We're applying a very small tax on financial transactions. That will give us $18 billion by 2025. We're raising the corporate tax rate to be the equivalent of what it is in the United States. That will give us almost $16 billion. We're closing the capital gains loophole. That will give us almost $15 billion. We're applying a tax to commercial banks on their profits. That will be a bit more than $4 billion. Going after tax havens, We've been aware of since the Panama Papers of specific Canadians who've hidden money offshore. That gives us about $5 billion a year. We're applying a wealth tax, 1% on tax of wealth above $20 million. That will give us $7.3 billion by 2025. And we're cancelling a range of fossil fuel subsidies. That, of course, is about $3 billion. And another area which I think uh, bears a note, it's not a huge amount of money, but it's time to bring the Amazons and the Netflixes and the Googles and the Facebooks into the tax regime. They mine our data and make a lot of money out of Canada. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau is promising a re-elected Liberal government will provide interest-free loans of up to $40,000 for as many as 1.5 million homeowners and landlords to make dwellings more energy efficient and better protected against natural disasters such as flooding. Today we're announcing more money up front for families, for homeowners and for renters and landlords to be able to make the changes in their homes that's going to save them money and fight climate change. We know that Conservatives do not get it and are not acting on it. Our plan, uh, which is bringing us to reaching the 2030 targets and surpassing them, uh, and more announcements to come throughout this week uh, is going to make sure uh, that people know that we have to fight climate change, but we can do it in a right way that is responsible and helps homeowners. There would also be $100 million invested in skills training to ensure there are enough qualified workers for energy audits and retrofits. The Liberals also promise a new low-cost flood insurance program for homeowners in high-risk flood zones. 
a relocation action plan, and new EI benefits for people whose livelihoods are affected by climate disasters. But Trudeau was pressed about his promise that Canada will exceed its emissions reductions targets by 2030 without saying how. We know uh, that we are going to reach our 2030 targets. We've gotten three quarters of the way there in just four years. Uh, and over the next 11 years, not only will we meet those targets, we will surpass them. Uh, and we will be well on our way to net zero by 2050. The Conservative leader campaigned in Quebec, where climate change may be the single most important election issue. He promised a two-year program for green home renovations to help lower power bills and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, a 20% refundable credit on renovations of more than $1,000 and less than $20,000, including insulation, high-efficiency furnaces, doors and windows and solar panels. Shear says Canadian families who carry out those renovations could save as much as $3,800 each year of the two-year program. Well, there's two components to this announcement. Obviously, reducing emissions by reducing energy consumption is a key part of that. But the other key part of that is helping make life more affordable for Canadians. And when Canadians can take advantage of this uh, home's tax credit to make renovations in their home, uh, they will make th th their own lives will become more affordable as the cost of living is reduced because their energy consumption will go down. But Sheer too faced more questions about his climate change plan and how it would get Canada to its targets for emissions cuts by 2030. This plan does give Canada the best chance to achieve those Paris targets. Uh, with, uh, with investing in green technology, not taxes, with our green patent tax credit, with this green homes renovation, uh, the green homes tax credit, uh, these are all measures specifically designed to help lower Canada's emissions, but also lower global emissions. And that's a key point here. Uh, Canada is not the problem. We can shut down our entire economy here, and within a matter of days, the production in China would replace everything that we produce here, uh, all the emissions that, that we emit here. So it's much better for our planet, much better to fight climate change, to take the climate change fight global, to help fight, glo to lower global emissions, and that's exactly what our plan does. The NDP leader campaigned today in British Columbia with proposals to focus on housing affordability. He announced an NDP government would create a special $20 million RCMP unit dedicated to fighting money laundering which has been identified as a major factor in driving up B.C. housing prices. Singh also promised a 15% tax on home buyers who are not Canadian citizens or permanent residents. Well, what we're saying is that housing shouldn't be used as speculation. And we know that uh, foreign buyers, um, foreign investments are coming into Canada to drive up the cost of housing. So if someone is a permanent resident, someone is a citizen, someone has made Canada their home, no matter where they're from, they, of course, should be able to buy a, ho a home without any barriers. But if someone is not chosen to make Canada their home, not a permanent resident and not a citizen, uh, then we want to make sure we're preventing the, the astronomical rise in housing. And we're seeing it's driven by a lot of foreign investment. And that's hurtful to, to Canadians. That's hurtful to the people of B.C. because people can't afford a house that way. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 15 of the campaign. So Canada's Green Party is the first party out of the gate this election with a detailed accounting of its election promises. Green Party leader Elizabeth May joins me now from Halifax. Uh, Elizabeth May, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. Thanks, Peter. So before we get into uh, some of the details of these promises and the costing around them, uh, I want you to start perhaps by giving us a sense of the principles that form the foundation of this platform and the promises you're making. 
Well, that's a wonderful question. We believe in being transparent with Canadians. We're deeply grateful to the Parliamentary Budget Office. We submitted 24 planks, if you will, uh, different elements of our platform. Starting, We started meeting with PBO back in May. But our fundamental principle is this. We need to spend more money as a government, but we don't want Canadians to worry that we're compromising their fiscal future in order to secure climate security. So, and also to expand social programs, because Canada must bring in universal pharmacare. We need to give our kids a better start in life and that they're not indebted. So we want to abolish tuition and invest more in post-secondary education. And we want to ensure childcare. So our promises aren't small. They're overdue. A lot of politicians have promised them before. But we have new revenue line items. And it's, it's also the, the revenue piece is what we really needed parliamentary budget office help. Okay, so, so our goal let, was, to ex was to have a balanced budget on the same time frame as the Conservatives and show people how we get there. Okay, so let, let's, you've, you touched on some of the big ticket spending items. Let's talk about some of the, uh, the, the, the costing, the revenue side and how you're going to pay for some of these big promises. So what are the key ways? What, what, what should Canadians expect to pay more for or see disappear, if that's the way to frame it, to pay for some of these promises that you're putting before them? Well, clearly, fossil fuel subsidies disappear, and that's about $3 billion a year benefit. Uh, the, the $10 to $13 billion that the Liberals have committed Canadians to for building a pipeline that should not be built, that is, doesn't have a commercial market and represents blowing our carbon budget, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, when we cancel that, it isn't a budgetary measure, but it's worth noting as a non-budgetary transaction, that frees up money for a different energy infrastructure project, which is in enhancing our electricity grid across Canada so that we can get renewable electricity from one part of the country to another. We're also looking at closing a number of corporate loopholes, things like the stock option loophole, where if a senior executive is paid in stocks, the, the tax on that is far less than if they are paid at their income bracket, at the higher income bracket level. We're also looking at expanding some taxes to the e-commerce sector, things like Amazon, Google, Facebook. It's a relative, we're not overtaxing them, but right now they're undertaxed. We're also bringing in a wealth tax, but only on a small percentage of the income, uh, of the wealth rather, of people who have $20 million or more in income. We're increasing the taxes on large transnational corporations and commercial banks, but we're holding at 9% the tax for small business because we recognize that small business is really the, the, the biggest employer and the economic driver. We want to we do everything we can to assist small business. Let, let me go back. So there's some revenue items that are fairly substantial. Okay, let me, let me go back to, so the Trans Mountain Pipeline, the, the Liberal government bought it for $4.5 billion. It's there. You're talking today about... Uh, saving money, no, no more expenditures on it, then what happens to it? Oh, well, those are two different pipelines. And this is often misunderstood among, well, certainly Canadians have this notion that we have this, we've bought a pipeline. We can't undo that, right? So the existing 65-year-old pipeline is something that the Canadian public now owns. Right. We're not undoing that. We can't. The Kinder Morgan took $4.5 billion to Texas. We can't get it back. We can stop building a second pipeline. It's called an expansion, but it doesn't build on the current pipeline. It's a completely new pipeline on some of the same route, but not all the same route. That would be up to, well, 10 to 13 billion is the current estimate. It would go up. That's public money we would not spend. 
we would invest that in a an, a decarbonized right. electricity. I, mean, grid. I guess my, my point is the purpose for the Liberal government's purpose for buying it was to then expand it and have the project go ahead. So you're saying that well, wouldn't have so so does it? Uh, I mean, that was the, the business case for it, that there's a reason. There to, was never a business right. case. But that's it was the, a political expedient. They were embarrassed. Okay. They were embarrassed because Kinder Morgan was going to walk away and blame them instead of telling the truth, which was that Kinder Morgan didn't have customers. It didn't make long-term economic sense. And Kinder Morgan... So how long, how long does the existing pipeline survive if there's a green government? Well, the problem with the existing pipeline is that it's near the end of its lifetime, it's bringing leaks. We don't have a problem with the existing pipeline as long as we are using fossil fuels. There's an existing pipeline. We're not, we will not build a single new pipeline. There's no new fossil fuel infrastructure. We will ban fracking. We will cancel the subsidies to Canada LNG. We do not need, we, not only do we not need LNG, LNG is incompatible with achieving the climate goals the ones that, that Justin Trudeau announced yesterday to the year 2050 are unachievable if you insist on building a Trans Mountain Pipeline, insist on funding and subsidizing fossil fuels like LNG. So we have to say this is within the framework of what science tells us we have to do. We reduce our dependency on fossil fuels quite rapidly, 60% cuts against 2005 levels by 2030. And we have to take that into account in our budget, as we do. Less oil and gas revenue, more of a focus on getting renewable energy up and running and into an electricity grid that allows us to go off the internal combustion engine within a decade or so. Okay. So, it, so it, no, the details are there. Okay, no, so no, no increase in income taxes for Canadians? No, okay. no, no increase. There is a financial, but, I note in the platform, there's a financial transaction tax in the platform, 0.2%, but it's up to 0.5% uh, yes. when you release the costing today. Two different numbers. Uh, yes. How come? 0.5 is correct because when we went through the budget, and this was a, we took a, a bit of a chance. We knew that Canadians deserved to see our full platform, the things we're committed to doing. And we didn't, when we released that in early in the RIT period, we didn't have, I guess it was uh, It was the, the first Monday after the, the writ drop on September 11th, we released our full platform. We knew when we did it that we were still awaiting a couple of line items from PBO. We also then had the $2 billion ruling from the Human Rights Tribunal in the case of Indigenous children. So in other words, we were still, we wanted to ensure a balanced budget. We were sure we could do it. But between launching the platform and releasing our budget, we had some tweaks. And that is a tweak of 0.2 to 0.5 financial transaction tax. We're actually now at the right number because that was what was always proposed by Nobel Prize winning economist James Tobin. Uh, We're now aligned with that. And right, there was so a vote, believe it or not, in the Parliament of Canada in goodness knows what year now, probably 1995, to adopt the Tobin tax. So here we are, 0.5% tax on financial transactions. Okay. Um, how firm is your commitment to, to balance the budget in five years? We, we have done so in our projections, but we're not ideological or slavish about it. If something came up, and given that the financial health of the government of Canada is, is quite strong at this point, we, have a, we are fiscally sustainable for the long term at the federal level unlike some provincial governments, which are not, or the provincial governments overall. So looking at the financial health of the government of Canada, we could stand more deficits, but we prefer not. So I think that's the right way to put it. Our hope is a balanced budget 
by uh, within five years in 2025. That's what we've projected. If an untoward circumstance occurred, something like the 2008 financial uh, uh, disaster uh, that started in another country and so on, mm -hmm. if that began to hit us, we would say, well, we need to spend more money because we need to stimulate the economy. Right now, looking forward, we don't think we'll need to do that. We think we can balance the budget in 2025. All right. We, we, we know the Green Party focus, and you, you've already released it, Mission Possible. We know the Green Party focus on, on climate. But I want to get your quick reaction here to a couple of what you're uh, what the other parties are, are doing. The Liberals promising net zero carbon emissions by 2050. They announced that yesterday. Not much in the way of details. What do you think of what you heard? Well, it's the right target for 2050, but it's conveniently 30 years away from this election and political accountability. Long-term targets without details have, and I've been working on this issue now since 1986, I know how this story plays out. Nobody does anything because the target's too far away. That's why the Green Party target is double Canada's current target. Justin Trudeau and the Liberals should have, in 2015, within weeks of getting elected, when they went to Paris in December 2015, should have announced that the Harper target was history and that this country was going to do the right thing. In 2018, on October 8th, when the IPCC warned all countries on Earth we're perilously close to a point of no return. Mm. We should have gone to the UN and said, we're pulling that old Harper target. We have to double it if we're serious. The, the, so if the liberals Justin are... Trudeau was serious, you don't put a pie-in-the-sky target for 2050 without increasing your target to 2030 by doubling it. We're the only party committed to doing what science dictates we must do. And there's, the liberals are still saying they're going to reach the 2030 uh, targets that uh, I, I know you say aren't, aren't sufficient anyway. And they're there's lots even, of evidence that they're not doing it now. But and... They're not only not sufficient, they're almost criminal at this point. We're talking about whether our kids survive, right? We're not talking about... We're not talking about a hypothetical future. Greta Thunberg, when she addressed the United Nations, is exactly right. Her future is on the line, as are the futures of my grandchildren, all of our children. And it's not that by 2030 the world will fall apart. But if we don't adjust our economy towards a transformational effort to go off carbon, and if we don't do that in the next 18 months, you can't make the transition to a zero-carbon economy by 2050 if you don't start now. We're kind of okay. 30 years late to get started if we're serious. Let's, so, let's, let's, finish, let's finish on this, uh, this final question. A Andrew Scheer today is promising a refundable tax credit of 20% on income taxes for people who make green improvements to their homes. Uh, he, he's taking a different approach uh, with, with some of these refundable tax credits and um, you know, suggesting that there's a way to have industry do this uh, and, and meet the targets. Uh, measures like this, uh, what do you think they do to the to the fight uh, against climate change? That's a great idea on its own. The problem is that Shear's climate plan is a plan for increasing emissions through uh, magical thinking that somehow fossil fuels burned in other countries don't contribute to global climate disaster, and we can help the world by exporting our magical fossil fuels, which don't do what every chemist will tell you it does. What it, so we know from science that we have to globally stop being dependent on fossil fuels as rapidly as possible. And certainly what's required, according to the IPCC, is globally 45% reductions by 2030. Because Canada is a laggard, the target we must have in Mission Possible is 60% below 2005 levels by 2030. So the individual tax measure that Andrew Scheer has announced today Bring it on. Great idea. We have to completely renovate 
all the buildings in Canada to eco-energy efficiency standards by 2030. It's a tall order, and let's make sure we use all the tools in the toolbox. The problem with Scheer's policy, which is, of course, uh, other than Maxine Bernier, the worst on climate, uh, the problem with uh, the liberal policy, which is vague a commitment to 2050, but nothing in place for 2030, except the old Harper target. And then you look at the NDP that have really good rhetoric, but their target is only 38% below 2005 by 2030 when you crunch the numbers. We should be doing this together. It's partisanship isn't helping us. Of course, we're in an election campaign. Right. I'd like to find the best bits out of everybody's platform and say, okay, but can we all agree that we have to be driven by science? And science tells us that we have to go off fossil fuels quite okay. sharply and at least 60% by 2030. All right, Elizabeth May, uh, good to talk to you today, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Take care. Thank you very much. So a day on the campaign trail of platform costing, home rental promises, and climate change promises as well. Let's discuss what we're hearing from the parties with our panel of party commentators. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator, Ashton Arsenault is a conservative commentator, and Robin McLaughlin is an NDP commentator. Good to see you all. I want to drill down a little bit on, because these are important issues for Canadians, they tell us that. Uh, we're going to talk about pharmacare too, but let's start with the climate change issue. And, it, and, it's, uh, and I guess I want to start with... What is it voters are supposed to be voting for? Because it seems to me we're hearing a lot of, uh, of aspirational climate change measures. We're talking about uh, sort of measures here and there that are supposed to contribute uh, to the fight against climate change. But not so much on, on detailed plans and, and how it will affect individual families and individuals and what role they're supposed to play. So does that complicate things at the ballot box? What am I supposed to choose if climate change is a big issue for me? Well, I think... Today, Peter, in particular, there was there were elements that directly um, reached to speak to people in their homes. Both the Conservatives, Mr. Shear, and the Liberals today had uh, announcements about home green home retrofits. Right. Uh, they were two different approaches. The Conservatives said, "Go spend your money. We'll give you a 20% tax credit, assuming you have it." Uh, and the Liberals said something really new and innovative. I think actually is for a forty thousand dollar tax-free loan to renovate your house, which to me is a way, good way to really engage and incent people to make those kind of retrofits. They also, the Liberals also said we're going to invest in the jobs and the skills to make people able to do right. it, and then among other things, a $5,000 new build home net zero home credit, trying to incent both um, homeowners, landlords to make these retrofits, people from a construction perspective to do to work towards net zero homes. So those types of things on top of the single use plastic ban, I think the price on right, carbon are things that individuals can have I guess, an impact. I guess what I'm wondering is, is and it's what I'm, what I'm hearing from people is we, we, we roll out these sort of announcements that are part of something, but there's no sort of detailed plan. There's no sort of you know, sorry, if, if we do this, we get this. And when we do that, we're going to have this. And then there's going to be this. Then there's going to be that. And that's how we hit our targets in, in 2030. And and I think, is that what, is that, are we hearing that in this campaign? Peter, I think it's more of a philosophical question. If you look at the approach for the Conservative Party versus the approach for the Liberal Party, it's a tale of two sides. So on number one, do you believe as a consumer you should be paying on par with what large emitters are paying? 
only to have the government give it back to you in the long run? Is that going to get us to climate change uh, relief more quickly? I don't know if that's true. The Conservative plan wants to target the large emitters and leave Canadians out of it. They don't want to take your money away from you in the form of a carbon tax. They don't want to give it back right, to you. Right, but Mr. So. Scheer says, he, you know, he, he they were conservative targets. He agrees with yep. the targets for 2030, and what he says every day in the campaign, this gives us the best chance of getting there. He doesn't say this. Here's where I can lay it out for you and show you. We do this, we get there. He's not doing that. I don't think the Liberals are doing that. Yeah. I don't think there's a clear so, plan that says exactly how this so is going to work. So here's the issue. None of the parties are doing this, but targeting the large emitters is by far at least the most proficient plan if you extrapolate it over the long term. Right, right. So there is no magic way to have Canadians or our society not have to shift where we're spending our resources. I mean, if you target w through regulations, which was Stephen Harper's approach, if you simply target large emitters, it will all trickle down to all of us. So this is something we have to do together. Collective action is the only way we're going to solve this problem. So what's needed, and I'll, I'll point out the NDP released their plan back in June so that their candidates could campaign on the doorstep with it, is you do need a vision, you do need the targets, but you need a clear plan to get there. And that includes the carbon pricing program that the Liberals have brought in, but without the exemptions they've given to large emitters that uh, 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 Ashton is talking about. So what the NDP's done is saying, yes, let's invest in those retrofits, both for individuals but also for major industrial and commercial operators. But individual Canadians looking at this have to say, well, I can't go out and solve a lot of these problems myself. I need a government that's going to invest in the transit and the electrification of the grid, like the NDP's talking about. A government that's going to make it easier for me to retrofit my home. And parties need to present their plans for that. Uh, and to show that we actually are going to meet the targets that we set internationally, because the Liberals, their current plan would take over 100 years to reach the targets they're putting forward. No, that's not actually true well, about that. From a target, no, but, no, let me no, be clear. But, what you've submitted to the UN actually says you won't meet your targets. No, but but what went into the UN has doesn't count for the new initiatives that have been announced since the campaign started, as well as things that have been announced years. since since December. But to your point on participation of consumers, I think it's a mistake on the part of the Conservatives, uh, and I think they misjudge the Canadians' popular like Canadians' desire to do something. I mean, there are thousands of people on the streets, kids are demanding to their parents, to grown-ups, to their teachers, to their politicians, do something about this. And we want to participate. We want to do something. And, and so... I, I guess that's right. That, and and I, I agree. We're seeing that. And we're seeing what we haven't seen before. I think a, a, a greater mobilization of people who want some sort mm -hmm. of action. And there are these competing offers in front of them. And I, and I guess what I'm suggesting is the competing offers, the competing offers don't really... I'm not sure they give you enough as a voter to say, okay, I see a clear plan. I mean, when you talk talk about the liberal plan, it's still, I mean, the, the Department of, of uh, the Environment's own numbers, right? So total emissions, with everything that's being done, total emissions will be only 20% below. From December, though, Peter, okay. that doesn't include, and I don't think it's fair to cite that without that's, including well, it. It didn't also, it didn't include the impact of the Why are we seeing tax. in this campaign, from, why are we seeing a plan in this campaign that lays out the next 10 years of exactly how it's going to so, work? So, you know what I think the problem is, is it's an election campaign right now, and the policies are being doled out one day at a time. By the time I think you get to the debates, you will see each party with a fully baked, um, you know, plan sure. that they can explain to Canadians and tie a bow on it. I mean, this is a 40-day campaign. Nobody, I mean, the NDP had to drop their their platform in June because they needed something to talk about. But I think the rest of the parties are, they're, they're putting it out and putting it all together. The other thing the Liberals have done is um, talked about legislating net zero emissions by 2050 and working in five-year increments with experts to 
reach those targets as a result of that. The other thing they announced Right, but today, they didn't talk about what the penalties would be if you don't meet the, if you're, no, if you're not part of the benchmarks. Yeah, but they're going to sit down with a group of people and put that together. I Putting think people across the country would, no, 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 that's not true, but I think people no, we've would had a lot be of time screaming. On why, isn't, why, isn't the, why doesn't the election platform include, here's our proposal, here are the penalties, here are the benchmarks, here's what we have to do to get to net zero. Because I think because you have to sit down with okay. people and industries and sectors and negotiate these kinds of things and look at what's practical, reasonable and doable because there's no sense putting stuff out there that can't be done that businesses can't meet. But they've also announced today a, a, a reduction or a, a we, incentive we to invest in clean and green technology and they're going to cut the taxes on the companies that invest net zero green, uh, green clean well, technology. I'm going to run out the clock okay. on the environment. Not at all. Okay, so Ashley, let me let me turn to you. Sure. The, the conservative plan is these incentives here and there, uh, uh, dealing with uh, incentives to try and get people to turn to green technology, including technology companies and so on. Uh, but but again, it's this aspirational best effort we have uh, to get to, to meet our targets. Is that a plan? I think it is. So first and foremost, I, I want to correct the record there a little bit. So the plan is actually pretty clear if you boil it down to its nuts and bolts. Go after the largest submitters, incentivize Canadians to do green retro home fits. Unlike the Liberal plan, we don't want to commit people into a $40,000 loan that they might not be able to repay. So under our version of that story, we'll give you a tax credit if you feel like you want to make upgrades to your home. We're not going to force you to do it. Uh, it's and not so conservatives believe this could have an effect on reducing it climate change. Will. What if let nobody me, takes you up on the Peter, proposal? Let me tell you a story. So How does that affect your numbers if nobody exercises I'm, the option of, of doing the I'm glad, I'm, do I'm glad you asked because under the former government, there was what was called the home buyer's plan to spur uh, spending during uh, the Great Recession. It was so popular that they had to close it down within two years because it was costing too much. So yeah. you're, you're that's not an outcome so base. That's a cost base. <laughs> they, did, they did cancel it. It was a popular <laughs> plan, and it's something that uh, you'll see replicated in a lot of the other pr uh, programs. But it's not by itself going to get us there. Uh, you know, you both talked about some of the young people out there in the streets that are marching for this. Uh, in large part following Greta Thunberg, who's been a great leader on this. Well, I'd like to point out in particular, she certainly condemned the government, the Liberal government, for purchasing a $4.5 billion pipeline. So Liberals might want to not put her on a pedestal and say that this is, this is why we've been so good. The Liberal plan right now, after four years of ha being in government and having the levers of government, is to put together a panel to tell them how to get there. Uh, that's just not good enough. We don't have time for that. The NDP plan, which is costed, puts together $15 billion forward, including a $3 billion climate bank. What's the purpose of that? Well, making the major investments that allow us to employ the skilled workers who might be put out of work by the transition right. to create 300,000 jobs, but also very specifically this week uh, in, in, in uh, Winnipeg, uh, Jigmeet Singh talked about electrifying the grid east to west. And that's something that will never happen without government because uh, the demand is in the south yeah, the and the hydro is in the north. So Just we need to Greens are talking about that today as well. Yes, really? but we're actually putting together a plan that shows that with this cl climate bank, we can help provide the incentives that allow provincial governments to work together. Mr. Singh also wants to cancel pipelines outright, and uh, I don't think that is practical or reasonable at, in a country that, that we exist in. Um, so you have to look at a balanced approach to it. He also um, wants, has talked about giving vetoes to provinces nope, and others. Well, allowing them to impose projects on provinces. How well has that worked for liberal and conservative governments? Well, I, I think how many tidewater have you guys built? But what's the, what, how many tidewater pipelines have either the conservatives or liberals built? Let's pipelines. be clear: the federal government has the power in the yes. national interest to impose yeah, it. If, if he's saying he's not going to oppose it on a province, that's a veto. 
Yeah. Well, look, let me just say what he, let me explain what he said. Just similar to Justin Trudeau in 2015, where he said, I'm going to make sure that Indigenous peoples have the social license, or at least are the ones that are made to authorize the social license. He did provide that, essentially, a veto to Indigenous groups, and then overruled that, said he didn't want to give them that. What Jagmeet Singh has said is that if we have something that's in the national interest, we have to make sure that a province or local communities understand that. So it's about campaigning and leading. That's what our federation is all about. And that means the other incentives. So clearly, the Liberals have not achieved that in British Columbia. It's been held up in the courts numerous times before, and we have this kind of uh, national crisis that we've faced many times before under both okay. liberal and conservative I, I governments. Switch it's about you. leadership. You know what? They're telling me we're almost at the time, but we're going to keep going. So let's <laughs> talk a little bit. You know, we're, we're going to talk about pharmacare now because I, I think there's the same kind of conversation happening around pharmacare. So the, the, the Greens un, unveiled their costed PBO platform today, acknowledging $27 billion a year for pharmacare right up front. And I guess it, it all the parties are promising some form of pharmacare except the conservatives they're thinking there's a there's a hybrid model there that would cover people that don't have it but leave it the way it is for people who have their own plans and so on uh, what should the voters consider if pharmacare is their issue I think they have to look at all of the plans and see what's the most reasonable and doable the liberals I will say before my colleagues say it have promised Pharmacare in the past and haven't delivered on that, so I'll just say it for you. No, no, that's fair. I like we'll bell the cat. No, no, we'll bell the cat on that. But I think what Mr. Trudeau has said is six billion dollar investment, initial investment in pharmacare. He's also said that you have to sit down and negotiate with the provinces. That's where. Jagmeet Singh gets a bit confused, I think, on the Section 91, Section 92 division of powers regarding the pipelines. But on the pharmacare, on the pharmacare side of things, um, you have to sit down with the provinces. You can't. And this is the other thing that Justin Trudeau has said is, for pharmacare to put in place, be put in place, we have to sit down. Uh, the, the feds have to negotiate negotiate with Doug Ford. Who do you want doing that? Do you want Andrew Scheer, who's going to negotiate with Doug Ford? Do you want Justin Trudeau, who's going to negotiate with Doug Ford? Who do you think is going to get the best well, deal for you? Well, there's one person who's just talking right. about him every single day, 55 yeah. million times a day, and that's yeah, Justin Trudeau. My sense would be someone that Doug Ford doesn't despise, but that's just me. Um, so two things on the Liberal plan. First and foremost, uh, $6 billion, uh, and that's an estimate. Yes, they lied to you and told you that they would bring it to you before. But I would ask Canadians this, and I would ask every other voter this. How do you think the federal government is going to pay for this? And where do you think they are going to come up with the billions of dollars required to fund a national pharmacare program? Well, Elizabeth, and May said today it'll be, Elizabeth May said today it's going to be a hike in corporate taxes right. from 15 to 21 percent. Uh, there'll be a financial transaction tax that'll pay for some of it, and they'll cancel fossil fuel subsidies. Uh, it's a priorities issue as far as the Greens are concerned. I think we've heard the same from other parties. Yeah, look, at the same time... It's about choices. It is about choices. It's about choices, but six million six billion dollars is a huge windfall. I mean, we could look at the liberals, and maybe they're going to secretly impose a capital gains tax. I don't know how much we want to buy into that. But at the same time, uh, we do have a very stark choice this election with respect to affordability. And do we want to continue to spend ourselves into an oblivion, or actually have a balanced plan to get back to a balanced budget to reduce your taxes, to put more in your pocket? And another thing about pharmacare that I'll say, which is actually true, is that a high percentage of Canadians actually already have some form of drug coverage in this country. All of them? No, absolutely not. Can we do better? Absolutely we can, and we should be taking care of our most vulnerable. But a national pharmacare program to the tune of $6 billion? I don't think so. Right. What I'd like to start is that 
when liberals or conservatives come out with tax cuts and talk about tax cuts for the people that uh, probably don't need them the most, nobody immediately responds and says, how much is that going to cost? Because every single tax cut costs money. Mm -hmm. So on a pharmacare plan, we should absolutely talk about how much it costs. And we have some information to work with, the PBO report. The Liberals promised this week $6 billion for pharmacare, uh, mental health care, and home care. That's well, like to get four, the process started, right, I think, for, and, for a lot of right, people. The, and the question that, was left unanswered was, problem, did they mean universal uh, yeah, pharmacare? They certainly there was don't. No I mean, let me, spoiler alert, they don't. Uh, they also, they need Doug Ford and Jason Kenney to come to the table on that. They're not providing enough funding up front to be able to incentivize provinces so that they cannot leave that on the table. The NDP has promised pharmacare, head-to-toe health care is the way we're referring to it as, the largest expansion of health care since Tommy Douglas, a new Democrat, introduced it. Uh, and they're going to do that because we're going to tax the fortunes of the super wealthy. Uh, that's the one-tenth of the one percent of the wealthiest people in Canada, which will bring in over 10 years $70 billion. So that's how we'll pay for it, in part. Yeah through corporate taxes as well. So but $10 billion dollars a year, what is the what? What is the NDP dollar figure for the head-to-toe? $10 billion a year for pharmacare, uh, dental care being separate, because we're not going to lump them together to confuse Canadians. I think you said Canadians. dental care would but be just under a billion the, to start. Yeah, but we've got the parliamentary budget, yeah. budget yeah. officer who's costing that for us, as opposed to the Liberals who really are going to uh, leave Canadians in the dark for how it's going to get paid for. Uh, okay. I don't think that's the case. I think the parliamentary budget officer, the Liberals' platform, will have the dollars on it. They said $6 billion, and you'll see it when, it, when the whole platform comes out. So all right. I think that's fair. Uh, thank you all. We're out of time. Appreciate thank it. You. Thanks, Peter. Well, as we have seen, the party leaders are spending a lot of time in the province of Quebec. The Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, is there again today. And Conservatives focusing uh, in particular uh, on the region around Quebec City. And CPAC's Marc-Andre Cassette has been uh, profiling some of the key riding races in uh, the province of Quebec. And he's with me now. Marc-Andre, good to see you. Good to see you too. Peter. Okay, let's start with these, uh, you know, and we've talked about Andrew Scheer being in Quebec. These two ridings around uh, Quebec City uh, Louis Hebert in Quebec. Uh, what do we need to know about that, the Quebec City area and this battle uh, in this election? Well, certainly these two writings were actually liberal gains in 2015. So that's the reason why we're keeping an eye on them right now. We want to see what will happen this time around. Uh, what we're looking at with these two writings is essentially an island of liberal red in a sea of conservative blue. So these are the only two seats held by the liberals in the Quebec City region. So they do have some fairly high-profile incumbents, of course, in Jean-Yves Duclos, who is the current Minister of Families and Social Development, and Joel Lightbound, who's currently serving as the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Finance. Uh, and this hasn't gone unnoticed. In, in a campaign period, they've been really uh, releasing a slew of announcements in the region, whether that's announcing $1.2 billion for a new tram line here in Quebec City, whether it's appointing a new negotiator to uh, negotiate buying back the Quebec City Bridge, which is a thorny uh, local issue here. Uh, new funds to fight homelessness. So there's been all these announcements, uh, which is basically, you know, trying to send the message that liberals care about this region. Uh, they're they're investing in this region and they're they're trying to deliver for the region. So it'll be no surprise, of course, that the conservatives are saying quite the opposite: that the liberals have not done nearly enough to to uh, really support the Quebec City region. And so they've been putting, as you say, a lot of efforts into. Uh, these ridings to try to win them back. They have some very good candidates. We can we can speak about them in, in more detail if you like. Um, sure. Tell me tell, tell me about who these candidates are for the Conservatives. Sure. So if we start with Louis they have uh, Marie Josée Guéret actually, and she's a former provincial deputy minister. Uh, she was also involved in philanthropy uh, with a, a well-known financial group here. So she has a ton of connections in the city, and she's really seen as a good get for the Conservatives. Uh, she's basically campaigning on sounder fiscal um, management. She's saying she's hearing from lots of voters who are 
worried about the deficits that liberals have accumulated, and she wants to be able to bring that fiscal house in order uh, so that they can better support the programs that Canadians expect to receive. Um, on the Quebec City side, uh, their, their candidate is Bianca Boutin. She's a uh, former or ex-press attaché to a liberal provincial minister here in Quebec. Uh, young mother of two, she's been uh, going at campaigning for quite some time now. She's uh, said that she's knocked on 15,000 doors. And the message from her is quite similar as well. You know, we need to bring our, our, our fiscal our house in order so that we can better pay for the programs that, that Canadians expect us to do. And, and really trying to say that we will be the voice of, of Quebecers in, in Ottawa and that the Liberals have not uh, done that adequately so far. What, uh, in these two ridings, what, if any, role is the, is the whole conversation around Bill 21 playing Quebec's uh, law around religious symbols? It's certainly there. Um, it's, it's one issue that, of course, the Bloc Québécois, um, all the other parties are, are trying to, uh, you know, position themselves via them, but also vis-à-vis Premier Minister, who is very popular in the province. We know that Bill 21 is, you know, there's a consensus around it uh, among the population in Quebec, or at least a very strong portion of Quebecers that do support it. And Prime Minister Legault is himself very popular. So what we're seeing is effectively all the different parties are trying to tiptoe around his, you know, that line. Uh, we've seen most parties say that they will not intervene, that they will respect uh, Quebec's autonomy, as Premier Minister Legault had asked uh, the day that the elections were called. The one party who's, who's making exception to that is, of course, the Liberals who are saying that any responsible government must see how this plays out in the courts. They're not saying, you know, they're saying we're not going to get involved for now, but we have to see how this plays out in the courts. So they're not shutting the door on it completely. Okay, so, so it certainly is an issue. And people that I, you know, people on the street that I talk to say uh, that's what they expect. You know, this is a decision to be taken by Quebecers for Quebecers, and and most people seem to think that the federal government should should stay out of it. Okay, so give me a sense of what, the kind of campaign it's been. Do we, do we have any indication of, uh, of, of where the race is in terms of polling information or so on? Is it, is it a conservative-liberal race? Is it... Uh, Mainly, what, yeah, yeah. What role is the bloc playing? I mean, how, how, how diverse is this race there? Right, so we were expecting to a race between the liberals and the conservatives. And early on, it seemed like these would be, uh, if not safe seats for the liberals, at least leaning towards that way. Uh, the fact that the Conservatives have, have named some pretty strong candidates, especially in Uyabaya, uh certainly makes that race more interesting. The bigger factor uh, that we're seeing emerge now, and we've had more news on this today, is the Bloc Québécois. Um, there had been talk for some time that voters might go to the Bloc as this kind of uh, third option if, you know, the other two parties aren't as popular. Why not cast your ballot for a party that, you know, whose sole mandate is to represent the interests of your province in Ottawa? And we've seen today a new poll out by uh, Léger and the Journal de Montréal showing that the Bloc Québécois is, among, is first among voting attentions among um, francophones in the province. So obviously the Quebec City region is its own thing. It's not quite like the rest of the province. Um, but that's certainly injecting uh, a new dynamic in the race and that the Bloc is uh, on on the rise and is uh, is making that two-way race a bit less of a tight two-way race and, and opening it up some more. Right. And so it's certainly on the, on the national scene, uh paying such close attention to the province of Quebec for a number of reasons, and not just the Quebec City area, but for the, for the Conservatives, that's, that's a big area if they want to try and find a path to victory nationally, and, and we're watching what happens to NDP seats there. And, and of course, the Liberals, if, if they're going to lose seats in other parts of the country, they need to win seats in the province of Quebec. So very, very important races to watch there, right? 
absolutely. Uh, we know that the Conservatives with Alain Reyes, their Quebec lieutenant, has put forward, uh, you know, has made a lot of efforts across the province, you're right, not just in the Quebec City region, to try to attract these these candidates with notoriety uh, who can go and get those votes. Uh, we recently profiled Trois-Rivières and, and the fact that the Conservatives were able to recruit their former mayor, so that's just one example. Here again in Quebec City, we're not quite sure whether we have that same level of notoriety, uh, but Marie-Josée Guéret certainly is... Um, you know, well-known, has a ton of connections across the city. The fact that Andrew Scheer is coming today to lend his support to her is, again, a sign of just how badly the Conservatives want to make some gains in Quebec. And as you say, how key that is to uh, any path of victory for them and for any other uh, other government. All right, CPAC's Marc-Andre Cassette on the campaign trail, ridings to watch in Quebec. Uh, as always, thanks, Marc-Andre. My pleasure. Thank you. There is also a lot of attention in battleground Atlantic Canada, where in the last election, the Liberals won 32 seats, but uh, few people expect them to repeat that this time. And one of the places we're watching closely, of course, we're in all of Atlantic Canada in our ridings to watch, but we are going to spend some time talking about Nova Scotia right now. And CPAC's Martin Stringer has been on the ground there for us. Uh, yeah. Martin, give me a sense overall of why Nova Scotia is so important. Well, Peter, as you know, I mean, in Atlantic Canada, the Liberals took all of the seats in Atlantic Canada, and here in Nova Scotia, they took them all. And there are a number of ridings in which the tradition is far from Liberal. In fact, we were in two ridings where no Liberal has ever been re-elected a second time. Uh, in Cumberland Colchester, for example, uh, where Bill Casey has just uh, retired, well, that riding has never had a Liberal win a, a seat more than once. So that is a riding that's very, very open for uh, an open contest. And there we have a, an NDP provincial politician who has come over to run for the Liberals, and we have an incumbent, a uh, conservative who used to be the MP uh, for four years, and he's trying to win the seat back for the Conservatives. Another riding which is equally interesting and has an equally solid conservative tradition of no Liberals ever winning a second seat is uh, Central Nova. And that's the riding people would know because of the history of Elmer McKay and Brian Mulroney briefly, and Peter McKay having held that riding for more than 40 years. Uh, in that riding, the incumbent, Brad uh, uh, Sean Fraser, is in a very, very tight contest against a country western star, George Canyon, who's running for the Conservatives. He's hoping to, run, to win that riding back. And I'll just mention one other very, very tight rating, riding that nobody seems to be able to predict, and that is what's called Saint, uh, uh, South Shore St. Margaret's. It's a huge riding leading all the way from Halifax down to the South Shore uh, around Yarmouth. And there, uh, Bernadette... Uh, uh, Bernadette Jordan, who is the Minister of Rural Development, a Liberal, is also wondering whether she will be able to retain that seat. Okay, now you've made your way to uh, you've made your way to Cape Breton, and uh, mm -hmm. that that's been sort of solid Liberal ground uh, because of a couple of high-profile candidates uh, or MPs in the past, one in particular, but he's not running again. So, uh, tell me what we need to know about that battle for Cape Breton. Okay. Well, Peter, as you mentioned, two Liberals, both retired, both had sat for 19 years as the MPs from uh, Cape Breton, Mark Iking and Roger Kuzner. But you're referring, of course, to Roger Kuzner, who was very well known and very popular. Uh, after retiring 19 years later, this is a writing that many people say shouldn't really be much of a question mark because Roger Kuzner won it six times and won it with 74% of the vote. Well, now that he's gone, a lot of the commentators are saying, really, this riding is quite open for the picking. And the Conservative, who has uh, 
person who got the Conservative nomination is definitely someone who is uh, going to make this race very interesting. His name is Alfie McLeod, and Alfie McLeod ran against Roger Kuzner back in 2000 uh, when Mr. Kuzner started his liberal, uh, his liberal reign. Uh, Alfie McLeod stepped down as an MLA in the Nova Scotia legislature, and Andrew Scheer was very glad to have him as a star candidate. He's very well known in this riding. Uh, he's occupied a number of jobs in addition to MLA, uh, and he is a person they are counting on greatly. Uh, and the, uh, the people who, well, the person they're counting on to hopefully hold the riding is a very successful and very well-respected businessman, Mike Kellaway. Uh, but it's quite an interesting riding because people are now saying it's quite up for grabs. It's also like a lot of the ridings in Nova Scotia and around Atlantic Canada in the sense that there's a real question as to who constitutes the third party or the, 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 uh, the third place contender. Because here in Cape Breton, there is a name that many people in Ottawa would be familiar with, Clive Doucette former uh, mayoralty candidate in Ottawa, a long-time uh, long municipal councillor. He's retired to Cape Breton. Uh, his family goes back two generations here, and he's running for the Greens, and he's a very, very notable presence, as well as the, uh, the NDP. So there's a big question, too, about that. As you'll see in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PI, big question about who really does have that third-party status or standing in terms of support. All right, let's, let's finish on this. Is there, is there one... Uh, there's always many issues in a campaign, yep. but is there an overriding issue for the people of Nova Scotia? Peter, there is overwhelmingly one issue, and the question is, will it dictate the results in Atlantic Canada? And that is health care. 57,000 Nova Scotians don't have a family physician. Here in Cape Breton, Stephen McNeil just announced the closure of two regional hospitals. He says he's rationalizing health care services, but every single politician here of any stripe on the federal level is facing what is a provincial jurisdiction, but the, the demand is to, to have the federal government step in or do more to help what is really a healthcare crisis. So it's absolutely unambiguous when you talk to people here. There's barely even a mention of things like the blackface controversy down here. It is healthcare, and then, of course, it's economic development and the exodus of young people. All right. Uh, lots to watch for the Battle of Nova Scotia as part of the Battle of Atlantic Canada. Uh, Martin Stringer, we'll catch up with you again. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. And we were just talking about the uh, battle for Quebec City, and uh, we can tell you that we're going to drop in on an event now where uh, the Conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, is campaigning in Quebec City this evening. Uh, this is a shot of him stopping in with the uh, candidates, and we uh, expect he'll make a few remarks here at this Battleground Quebec City event. As we've said, uh, part of the path to power if the Conservatives are going to win government is certainly through Quebec and adding seats uh, in the province of Quebec early on in the campaign it seemed they uh, it would not be th that crucial you always want to add seats but it wouldn't be that crucial to add uh, so many seats in the province of Quebec as Conservatives were looking to make serious gains in the province of Ontario uh, the, the polls show perhaps a, a bit of a different story now in Ontario with the Liberals pulling slightly ahead in some of the polls that's now there's still lots of time till uh, voting day uh, but if that's the case, that makes uh, picking up seats in uh, Quebec City where they don't have them already, a couple of key seats, uh, certainly uh, job one for the Conservatives in Quebec, as well as picking up some of those uh, seats in other parts of the province as well. But here's Andrew Scheer at the microphone. Let's listen in. Merci, merci pour cet accueil très, très chaleureux. Chers amis, je suis très, très content d'être avec vous ici à Québec. 
Et je remercie notre candidat dans Louis-Hébert, Marie-José Guérette. Merci beaucoup, Marie-Josée, pour ton accueil et la présentation. Et je salue également tous nos candidats et bénévoles de partout dans la région qui se joignent à nous cet après-midi. Mes amis, nous sommes en campagne depuis maintenant deux semaines et je peux vous dire que notre campagne positive rejoint les Québécois et l'ensemble des Canadiens. Et je suis convaincu que le 21 octobre prochain, avec la nation québécoise derrière nous, on va élire un nouveau gouvernement conservateur. Car le message qu'on envoie à tout le pays est clair. C'est le temps d'élire un gouvernement qui va améliorer votre quotidien et celui de votre famille. Au cours des quatre dernières années, on a pu voir le vrai visage de Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau n'est tout simplement pas celui qu'il prétendait d'être. En 2015, Justin Trudeau a promis d'aider la classe moyenne. Mais une fois au pouvoir, il a trahi la classe moyenne en augmentant leurs taxes et leurs impôts. Il a promis d'équilibrer le budget en 2019, c'est-à-dire cette année. Mais il a accumulé des déficits énormes qui menacent aujourd'hui nos programmes sociaux comme l'éducation et la santé. Ce matin, les libéraux ont fait encore de la petite politique sur le dos des francophones. Et peut-être peut c'est une surprise, mais la langue française, ce n'est pas mon premier langue. Yeah. J'ai appris mon français grâce à des programmes d'immersion en Ontario. Et je peux vous dire que je vais toujours défendre les francophones partout au pays et surtout ici au Québec. Mais, mais mes amis, je vais être clair. J'ai aucune leçon à recevoir d'une partie libérale qui n'est pas capable d'écrire une chanson en français comme du monde. Depuis quelques jours, on voit que Justin Trudeau est en mode panique. Premièrement, il vole mes idées. C'est mon idée de réduire l'impôt sur les congés de maternité. C'est mon idée de baisser les impôts. Et ce matin, elle a volé mon idée concernant les maisons éco-responsables. Cependant, elle présente des plans sans détail. Les frais du cellulaire, pas de détail. Baisse d'impôts, pas de détails. Améliorer les soins de santé, pas de détails. Mais Justin Trudeau est le champion de l'improvisation. Encore hier, il a présenté son plan évrémental, pas de détails. Il a écrit son plan sur un napkin sur le coin de table. Mais de mon côté, j'ai un plan. Un plan qui va faire en sorte de protéger notre environnement et de laisser plus d'argent dans vos poches. Alors, mes amis, 
Le 21 octobre prochain, nous allons remplacer le gouvernement indigne de Justin Trudeau par un nouveau gouvernement conservateur dont tous les Canadiens et Canadiennes pourront être fiers. Le nouveau gouvernement conservateur vivra selon ses moyens et mettra plus d'argent dans vos poches pour que vous puissiez améliorer votre quotidien. Et les Québécoises et Québécois vont pouvoir se donner un gouvernement qui va respecter et refléter les réalités québécoises. Un gouvernement qui va remplacer le vieux fédéralisme paternaliste des libéraux par un fédéralisme d'ouverture, fondé sur la collaboration et le respect avec les, avec les provinces. La reconnaissance que les Québécois forment une nation au sein du Canada uni, c'est nous. Un siège pour le Québec à l'UNESCO, c'est nous. Le règlement de déséquilibre fiscal, c'est nous. Le respect de la nation québécoise, c'est nous. Et donner plus d'autonomie au Québec en matière d'immigration, c'est encore nous. Mais, mes amis, soyons très clairs, il n'y a qu'une seule partie qui peut vous offrir des baisses d'impôts, équilibrer le budget et qui va traiter les Québécois comme une nation. Seulement les conservateurs peuvent faire ça. Et seulement les conservateurs peuvent permettre aux Québécois de se débarrasser de Justin Trudeau. Car le Bloc est impuissant face à Justin Trudeau. Car le Bloc veut seulement la souveraineté du Québec. Et quand le Bloc, comme l'a dit Lucien Bouchard, dilue le pouvoir politique du Québec à l'intérieur de la Fédération. Seul un gouvernement conservateur, avec une forte représentation de Québécois et Québécoises, va pouvoir défendre les intérêts du Québec à Ottawa. Et c'est pourquoi j'ai besoin de votre appui. J'ai besoin de la nation québécoise. Alors, je vous demande de continuer votre bon travail, d'être présent sur le terrain et de cogner à chacune des portes dans vos comtés. Parlez à vos amis, vos voisins, votre parenté. Il y a seulement vous qui pouvez faire élire un nouveau gouvernement qui va travailler pour améliorer votre quotidien. Et tous ensemble, on va réussir. Nous allons donner aux Québécois et Québécoises un gouvernement intègre dont ils pourront être fiers. Et comme premier ministre, le troisième lien sera ma priorité. Les Québécois auront qu'un seul rapport d'impôt. L'enjeu du pont de Québec sera réglé une fois pour toutes. Vos impôts vont baisser, le budget va être équilibré et la TPS sera enlevée de vos factures d'hydro. On va régler le problème à la frontière et l'obélix sera octroyé au chantier d'Evie. Et pour une fois pour toutes, vous que nous sommes en 2019, 
je vais, notre gouvernement, va mettre fin au déversement d'eau usée dans notre fleuve et nos cours d'eau. Nous avons déjà une forte équipe ici à Québec. Une équipe qui connaît les besoins des gens d'ici et qui les défend avec passion à Ottawa. Et je suis convaincu qu'au lendemain du 21 octobre, notre équipe, notre équipe va compter deux membres de plus d'ici à Québec. J'ai un message pour les deux libéraux dans la région. Marie-Josée Garrette et Bianca Boutet seront les nouvelles députées conservatrices de Louis-Hébert et Québec. Mes amis, notre, notre engagement est clair et simple. Plus pour les Québécois dès maintenant. Et tous ensemble, oui, tous ensemble, nous allons faire de Justin Trudeau le premier ministre d'un seul mandat. Merci! Peter Van Dusen watching along with you, Andrew Scheer uh, campaigning in uh, Quebec City. Uh, 11 seats in the Quebec City area, um, all but a couple of them held by uh, Conservatives, one of them held by a former Conservative uh, at Dissolution, uh, Max Bernier, uh, now the leader of the People's Party. Uh, that seat is in play and so are uh, at least two of those uh, seats currently held by Liberals. Um, th that's the two that the uh, Conservatives are targeting. They'd like to have a clean sweep of the whole uh, Quebec City region. Uh, three or four of the seats are, are probably in play according to some of the latest polls and the Conservatives clearly targeting those two seats right around Quebec City uh, to try and scoop those up as well along with the other ones they already have in that region as part of the ongoing uh, battle in Battleground Quebec. That is all for another edition of Primetime Politics on CPAC, the Cable Public Affairs Channel. I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. Stay with us. Continuing coverage of Vote 2019 right here on CPAC, straight ahead.